original plan. This is week two. I think we had a pretty good start last week. Lead pastor gave us a great biblical uh, foundation for where we're headed over the next, uh, what is it, four or five weeks. Um, still trying to get into my head exactly what Jess was trying to tell us. All that stuff about what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat. I mean, uh, it was a bit of a challenge for me to get my head around that stuff. Um, something about less sugar, Tim says. I thought it was something about less fun. But I think it's kind of interesting that she gave us all that advice and then just disappeared. See, the question I've got is, what's she having to dinner tonight? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> okay, well, we'll find out. Well, I want to talk to you today about some, practic uh, some practical principles for change. Now, if we're going to be really serious about this, if we're going to really get into this, then we've got to change. That's right, isn't it? Absolutely, it's right. So let me start with this statement. Faith in God is a key to any change in life. Faith in God is a key to any change in life. And I'm not talking about faith in God for something. I'm talking about faith in God. And when I talk about faith in God, I'm talking about relationship with God. And that's something that I'd like you to sort of tuck back into your minds as I'm speaking this morning because uh, from time to time we're going to talk about the faith element and when we're talking about the faith element we're not talking about faith for something we're talking about faith in God our relationship with God and without a relationship with God we will not be able to change now folk are passing some pencils around if you need a pencil for your fill-ins just sort of wave at them and uh, you'll be able to uh, travel with us for sure. You know, despite all the hoo-ha about resistance to change, everybody deep down within themselves wants to change. You know, we say we want to resist it, we say we're against change, but you know, when we're on our own, when we begin to think about some of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, something within us says, I need to change, I want to change. It's universal. Now, we spend millions of dollars every year on diets, on programs, on gadgets that we think will change us for the better. It's the truth, isn't it? We do all sorts of stuff to take shortcuts to change. And the reason we do that is because we're suckers for shortcuts. You know, we don't want to do the hard yards. We want to do it the easy way. You guys ever noticed that uh, advertisement on TV? It's on one of those uh, shopping channels, I think, where you can buy this gadget that you can strap around yourself. It's battery operated and it exercises your muscles. You don't have to do a thing. It's exercise without exercise. If I could figure out a way of getting one of them things without Mandy knowing... I would get one. I'm telling you, I would get one. Exercise without exercise. Think about it. It's got to be a God thing. <laughs> Overwhelmingly, the changes that come through diets and programs and gadgets are short-term. They don't really work. 
It's a sad state of affairs which really only leaves us disillusioned. That's all it does. So here's the question. Is there anything that can really transform our lives and bring lasting changes for us? Is there anything? You know, not superficial changes, but changes that go, you know, deep down into our spirit and really do bring about a change. Well, the answer is yes. Yes, there is. And as usual, that answer comes from the scriptures. And I believe that Romans chapter 1 verse, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, gives us six principles for lasting change. Romans 12, verses 1 through 12. That's where we're going to park this morning, and we're going to draw a whole lot of principles out of that. So here's the first principle. It's in verse 1. It's a principle of dedication. Commit your body to God. Commit your body to God. That's your first fill-in. I think everything starts with this. If you want to change things, if you want to change your finances, your vocation, um, your um, finances, your relationships, your marriage, your spiritual life, it actually works best to begin with the physical. It really does. You know, Scripture says first the natural, then the spiritual. So offer your body to God. That's what the Bible's saying to us. The condition of your body affects your behavior. Do you realize that? I think we all know that. The condition of your body affects your behavior. For example, um, your muscles affect your moods. If your muscles are aching, you're in absolutely no mood to listen to me this morning. Isn't that the truth? If you've got aches and pains, you're going to be thinking about your aches and pains all morning. Your physiology affects your psychology. It's an actual fact. Some of you don't look like you're totally convinced. Let me prove it to you. Okay, you've got to work with me on this. Tim, you've got to work with me on this. Okay, you will enjoy this. All right? Everybody sit up straight. Come on. Oh, you're doing it. Good. Now roll your shoulders around very carefully. Now take a deep breath in. Oh, now let it out slowly. Now what just happened? You're more alert. You're more aware of what's going on. Absolutely more aware, more alert than what's going on. You know, the reason for that is because your brain said to your body, breathe or you're going to die. And that's the way it works, you see. If, if your body is in a good place, your head's going to be in a good place. It's simply the way it works. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, this verse is so packed with keys for us, I could spend the whole day on this alone, really. There's so much in it. And I've been doing a lot of study, a lot of reading, uh, stuff that Rick Warren put out, and I, I tell you, it's just packed with stuff. But we don't really have the time to go through it all this morning. But the verse begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, 
I urge you, brothers. Therefore, you know, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, and I'm sure you know this, you've got to kind of figure out what's it there for. Therefore, basically means in light of everything I've just said. Therefore, in light of everything that I've just said. Now, Paul has just written 11 chapters leading up to chapter 12. And I don't have time to go back over them. Well, now the lead pastor's away. What the heck? (laughs) So turn to Romans chapter 1. And some of you are really panicking at this moment. Okay, well, let me summarize it for you. See, all the way through those first 11 chapters, Paul is saying, um, because of all the good things God has done for you here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and by the way, over there as well. And, you know, he's, he's making this big point all through those 11 chapters that God has done this amazing work for us. And then he gets to chapter 12 and says, therefore, you see, in light of all these good things that God has done for you, therefore, for this reason, present your bodies to him. Commit your bodies to him. You know, uh, Paul says, uh, offer your bodies. That's the big point of the verse. And what does it actually mean? You know, when you offer something, it's not forced. It's voluntary. You know, if you offer it, that's your will. It's, it's your desire to give something. It's not a forced thing. Nobody can force you to offer your body. Nobody can force you to change. No matter what changes around you in life, nothing can force you to change. Change can only happen by your own free choice, and that really is the first law of change. Change is my choice. Change is your choice. Paul says, therefore, offer your body as a living sacrifice. The only problem with free choice, however, is that we're free to change our mind. Now, we choose to marry our spouse, and sadly, too often, we see somebody choosing to leave their spouse. Free choice. That's the problem with it. You know, we, cho- we choose to offer ourselves to God and we can choose to take ourselves back from God. We've seen that lots of times. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, it says. So we come to church on Sunday and raise our hands, I love you, Lord. Then on Monday we go AWOL from God. We change our mind. Free choice. That's the problem with free choice. We get to change our mind. And Paul makes this point. He says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. That's got the sense of um, continuity about it. Offering your body is not a a once and for all decision. It's a living decision that we need to make one time, two times, maybe even 10 times a day. That's what it means. When he says, Offer your body a living sacrifice. He says, you need to do this as often as you need to do it. I think we need to really get that. You and I will make a decision to change today. 
hope we will. That's what we prayed for at the beginning of the service. But I'll tell you something, it's not going to be easy sailing from there on. It's going to be hard work. And we will all need to keep making that decision to change over and over. That's offering yourself as a living sacrifice. Paul says, therefore offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is your spiritual act of worship. Now get that last phrase as well. It's your spiritual act of worship. This tells us that offering our bodies to God is worship. Now we think of worship as just raising our hands, singing, music and the like, and it is of course, but it's so much more than that. We can worship God with our bodies in the way that we present our bodies to Him. You know, if we're taking toxins into our bodies, and I'm talking about you know, smoking, drinking too much alcohol, uh, doing drugs, eating too much fast food, we're not offering our bodies to God in worship. If we don't care for our bodies, and I'm talking about exercise and getting enough sleep and the like, we're not offering our bodies to Him in worship. Uh, if we don't control our bodies, and I'm talking about self-discipline, we don't do that, we're not offering our bodies to Him in worship. Paul says, offer your body to God. Commit your body to God. So that's the first principle, physical. Offer your body to God. Second principle, it's in verse 2, it's a principle of concentration. Refocus your mind. Refocus your mind. That's the second fill-in. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 3, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And in saying that, he's talking about, don't, you know, don't conform to what the world thinks. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this is another well-known verse, and it's packed with keys for transformational living. Basically, what Paul's saying is, stop focusing on what's bad for you and start focusing on what's good for you. We should stop focusing on our plan and start to focus on God's plan. We should stop focusing on what everybody else wants us to do and focus on what God wants us to do. Stop focusing on the negative. Start focusing on the positive. You know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can transform our mind by renewing it with the right focus. You know, this verse goes on to say, um, do not conform. Conform means to copy everybody else and too often everybody else shapes our life. Don't copy everybody else, Paul says. Don't copy everybody else. And notice the verse says, do not conform any longer. That little phrase is important. Circle it if you like. If you are filling in the blanks, circle it. This will kind of help you when you go back over stuff. You know, when we do something for a long time, what's it become? A habit. A habit. And it starts by copying someone else or something. And after we do it for a long time, it becomes a habit any longer, Paul says. Don't do it any longer. Don't let it become a habit. You know, we're no longer copying someone. If we do it for a long time, it becomes our habit, our hurt, our hang-up, our addiction, 
our compulsion. We own it because we've been doing it for a long time. So we need something to inspire us, something to kind of lift us out of that mindset where we're just copying somebody else. And that's where the second law of change comes in. It says, to change my life, I must change my model. To change my life, I must change my model. The Bible says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The point is this, everything we learn in life, we learn from a pattern. It's, it's true. Everything we learn in life, we learn from a pattern or a model. We learn by a model and the problem is that no human being is perfect. So therefore, there's no perfect models in the world. So who are we learning from? Who is our model? I'm not saying that everything that everybody teaches us is bad. I'm just saying that a lot of what we get taught by modeling isn't good for us. You know, you may have had some models for anger management growing up. Models that weren't really all that good for you. Um, you may have seen procrastination modeled while you were growing up. Uh, you may have seen some bad eating habits modeled while you were growing up. And so you picked it up and it's become a habit. A lot of the patterns and models that we've seen growing up were defective and we have to learn some new patterns. To change my life, I must change my model and there's only one perfect model. Only one. And God sent him to earth so that we could see for ourselves what a perfect model looks like. His name is Jesus. Jesus. The only perfect model. Jesus says over and over again, follow me. So why does he say that? Because he's the perfect model. Paul says, follow me as I imitate Christ. See, Christ is our model. It's impossible not to have models in life. It's impossible to, to not be deeply influenced by somebody in life. So choose carefully who you model your life after. Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed in the Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament, is the word from which we get the English word metamorphosis. What is metamorphosis? Metamorphosis happens when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. When a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, that is not a better version of a caterpillar. It's a grub being transformed into something spectacular, something totally different. That's not reformation. That's not renewal. That's not improvement. It's transformation. It's radical transformation. And only the power of God in our lives can bring about radical transformation. Positive thinking can't do it. And I'm not against positive thinking. It's better than the other. Only God can bring about transformation. And it's called being born again. It's called being changed into the likeness of God little by little. 
It's about getting a whole new life. It's about being transformed. It's about metamorphosis. It's about turning from an ugly grub into a beautiful, free butterfly. And how does it happen? Through the renewing of our mind, brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. The Bible says, put off the old self. Put off the old self and be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self. You know, if you go to Riverlink or DFOs to buy a new coat, you don't get one off the rack and then go into the change room and put it on over the top of your old coat. I mean, that'd be nuts. It'd be hot and you wouldn't even know if it fitted anyway. You'd take off the old coat first, right? And then put on the new coat. And this is true spiritually, emotionally, mentally. <coughs> uh, you have to take off before you can put on. You have to take it off before you can put it on. And all this can be summarized by saying we must concentrate and refocus our minds. So that's the second principle. Refocus your mind. Here's the third principle for change. It's the principle of evaluation. Humbly assess your current state. Humbly assess your current state. You know, if you rang me this afternoon and said, I want to come to your house, please direct me, I'd say, well, where are you? If you weren't able to tell me where you were, I wouldn't be able to tell you how to get to my house. You get that? See, it's not enough to know where you want to go. You've also got to know where you are now. If you want to improve your life, if you want to change, you've got to really understand where you are now. I must humbly assess. And I stress humbly. I stress humbly. Because it takes humility to assess your current state. It really does. You know, a big barrier to life change is pride. Pride. What, me? Change? Why do you think I need to change? Anger? I don't have a problem with anger. You got a problem with anger. I don't have a problem with anger. It takes humility to actually admit where you are and that you need to change. None of us have got it all together. Everything on this planet is broken because of man's rebellion against God. That's called sin. Because of sin, everything on this planet is broken. Nothing is perfect. So why pretend? Why pretend? You and I have to admit it when we don't have it all together. Just say, I've got a problem with relationships. I've got a problem with anger. I've got a problem with the way I manage my finances. Just admit it. Romans 12 verse 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Did you notice the phrase, think of your life with sober judgment? Think of your life with sober judgment. In other words, get over yourself and just be humble. Admit that you need to change. Another translation says, be honest. 
in your estimate of yourself. Maybe this is a moment for you and God right now where you're sitting. Maybe right now this is a moment for you where you can stop pretending and admit that you've got a problem and you need to change. Now, what are you pretending this morning? Are you pretending everything's right in your marriage? Everything's right in your finances? Everything's right in your attitudes? Everything's right with the way you respond to people? Everything's right in your spiritual life? Just think about it for a moment. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And then I want to ask you if you've got the courage to go to somebody who's close to you and ask them where they think you need to change. Are you courageous enough to do some self-intervention on yourself today? Again, you know, if you're doing the, the fill-in, circle that phrase, measure of faith, that's in that verse. See, it's clear that we need faith to change. Remember what I said at the top end of uh, this talk this morning? We're talking about faith in God. We're talking about relationship. The measure of faith, it says. Now, when we talk about faith, we're talking about faith in God, relationship with God. We need relationship with God to change. Keep that in mind as we continue to talk. So how much faith do I need? And can I measure my faith? I think you can. You do uh, measure your faith when you kind of look back over a season of time. So how do we build our faith? You know, it's not as hard as a lot of people say it is. You hear people say, this is a really difficult one. Now, how, do, how, how do I build my faith? How do I build my relationship with God? Well, the Bible makes it clear that it's simple. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. That's where it comes from. That's how we build it. It's not that hard, really, because faith comes from being in church like you are this morning, listening to the Word of God. And if you do that consistently, your faith grows. Your relationship with God grows. Another certain way to grow your faith is by reading this book in a disciplined manner every day of your life or every day that you possibly can. When you feed yourself from the words in this book, these living words, it's food for your soul. And you get to know the author of the book. And your relationship with him grows. If you're not doing that, start to do it. Do it for one month and you will be able to measure your faith. Measure how much it's grown. It's soul food for us. It's so important, church. Because limited faith means limited relationship with God. But unlimited faith means unlimited relationship with God. It means an unlimited future. And I think that's pretty cool. So that's the third principle, humbly assess your current state. Fourth one, it's a principle of cooperation. I must get peer support. I must get peer support. We will not make all the changes that we need to make or want to make on our own. You just won't do it. And already I've heard a couple of people say, I can do this on my own. I don't need to do it in a group. 
you know, God wired us up in such a way that we need each other. Now, we can fool ourselves if we like, but you'll only fool yourself for a while. Eventually, the truth will dawn on you, hey, I can't do this on my own. We need support. We need a connect group. You know, 58 times in the New Testament, we see the phrase, one another. 58 times. I checked it. 58 times. You know, we read words like love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, greet one another even hug one another, kiss one another with a holy kiss. Um, 58 times it tells us, you know, you are not meant to do life alone. And it doesn't matter if you're single or divorced or whatever, it applies. You need a family and your family could be a connect group. It really could be. In Romans 12 verse 4 it says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. That's us. We are all parts of his one body and each of us has different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us needs all the others. I'm not saying this. God's saying this. It's the fourth law of change. We need community if we want to change. We belong to each other. We need each other. You and I need each other. I don't think I need to say much more about this because we're always talking about it here at Catalyst. Give Pastor John Meath a problem this morning. Rush up to him at the end of the service and say, I want to be in a connect group. Give him a problem to sort out this week. We need each other. And to try and do it on our own, well, it's just not going to work. So that's the fourth principle. You need peer support. Here's the fifth one. Another fill-in. It's the principle of affirmation. I must fill my life with love. I must fill my life with love. You know, if we want lasting permanent change in our lives, we must fill our lives with love. You know, at, at first glance, that might seem like, well, that's a fairly nebulous kind of a statement. Why would we say that? Why would we say we need love to change our lives? Because love is the most powerful force in the universe. That's why. It's the most powerful force in the universe, and love can change the unchangeable. Love invigorates, it revitalizes, it renews, it refreshes. Love is the most powerful force in the universe because God is love. God is the personification of love. Scripture says God is love. And then God sends Jesus and says, look at him because that's love. We need love. We need God. We need Jesus if we want to change. God is a personification of love. In the book of Proverbs, it says love is stronger than death. You know, that's one of those little verses you can just read by, but think about it. Think about the implications of that. If love is stronger than death, then love is stronger than your bad relationships, your anger, your disease, your debts, 
your bad eating habits, whatever you might want to put on that list. That's how powerful love is. Love empowers when you don't have the power. Romans 12, 9 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. You know, this really hooks into the previous principle, doesn't it? The one about connect groups. You know, I love what this verse is saying. Love each other with genuine affection, take delight in honouring each other. Now, it's saying that in our connect group, when someone has a small win, celebrate it with them. That's what it's saying. It's saying encourage someone with it. Now, if someone has a win with their weight, celebrate with them. Someone has a win with their finances, celebrate with them. Whatever kind of forward momentum somebody gets towards you know, life change, celebrate it. Give them a high five. Now, the power of loving encouragement is absolutely sensational. And there's something really amazing about it. If you think about it, see, God has wired us up so that you can help other people. Um, God wants us to help other people take care of their problems. God doesn't watch from heaven to see uh, if we're helping ourselves. He's looking to see if we're helping others. So once again, get in a connect group, but not just so others can help you, so that you can help them. And here's the thing. When you go to a connect group and pray for others, encourage others, God helps you. That's the way it works. By you helping somebody else, God helps you. I don't know about you, but I need God's help. And I love being in a connect group. I had a great connect group this last week. And after the connect group, you know, I was able to just sit and talk and just share a few things that I was thinking about. And I got encouraged. You can't do it on your own. Last principle. It's a principle of motivation. I must nurture my enthusiasm. That's the last filling. I must nurture my enthusiasm. Now, this is a really important one as we close. Now, each one of us has to figure out how to maintain our enthusiasm for change over the long haul. If we don't do that, we're not going to reach our goals for change. Now, one of the things that I've, I've learned in life, one of the things I've observed, is that anything that is worthwhile is only achieved if there's enthusiasm linked with it. If you don't have passion for change, you won't change. Simple as that. If you're not enthusiastic about change, you won't change. It doesn't work with a, you know, I just want to get out of debt mindset alone. It doesn't work with a, you know, I want to lose weight. Pass me the potato chips kind of attitude. It just won't happen if you have a ho-hum or half-hearted, without energy, without passion, without enthusiasm approach to change. You simply won't change. Ever notice how some people... You know, can begin a project with great enthusiasm, then they hit a couple of walls, you know, a couple of little obstacles, and all the enthusiasm disappears and they come to a full stop. It's just too easy to lose your enthusiasm. 
So the question is, how do we maintain our enthusiasm and passion for the long haul over the many weeks and maybe months and maybe years that you'll need if you're going to go through the total process of change? You know, it takes, as I said earlier, a lot more than positive thinking, and I'm not against it. Um, pulling yourself up by your psychological bootstraps won't do it either. Psyching yourself up with cybernetics, that won't do it either. Or trying to pump as much optimism into your mind as you possibly can by reading the most positive books won't do it either. There are too many things in life that come our way that knock the stuffing out of us and kill our enthusiasm. Now, what do you do if a, if a son is killed in action in Afghanistan or a wife dies of cancer or somebody you care about takes their own life? It takes a lot more than just a casual approach to stay enthusiastic. Having a positive attitude isn't enough. The answer lies in the word enthusiasm itself. And I've said this before, and it's so powerful it's worth repeating. See, the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek word entheos, entheos. And it simply means, well, in its simplest form, it, it means in God, to be in God. That's all it means. So here's the thought. When you get in God, you will be enthusiastic. When you get into God, you will be enthusiastic. In practical terms, this means the kind of gut-level enthusiasm that fills your heart with so much enthusiasm, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. If the economy is going down the gurgler, or, or whether it's raining or shining, or whether Queensland wins the state of origin or not, whether things are good or bad, it doesn't matter if you are in God, if you're enthusiastic. Well, actually, if we lost the state of origin... <laughs> I'd need some real encouragement. <laughs> See, when you're in God, your enthusiasm doesn't depend on the circumstances. It's based on your relationship with God. And when we're tied to God, we're tied to the rock of ages, the immovable one, the all-conquering God. We can be enthusiastic all the time when we're in God. We really need to do this. And in Romans 12 verses 11 and 12, Paul tells us how to keep our enthusiasm. So this is important. He says, never be lacking in zeal. That's another translation of enthusiasm. Never be lacking in enthusiasm, Paul says. Never, never, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Keep your spiritual enthusiasm. Then he goes on, and gives us three ways to do this. So listen to what he says. He says, in serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, and be faithful in prayer. Those three things. Very quickly, the first one, be joyful in hope. You know, even when things are going wrong, we can be joyful in hope, because I know what God's plan is. We win in the end. He wins. God wins. Joyful in hope, people, are those people who even when things are going pear-shaped, say with a smile, God has a purpose in this. I love those kind of people. You know, I, I think of Peter Tully. He's one of those sorts of people. 
you know, I, I, I'm often working with him over something and it's all gone pear-shaped. He says, God's got a purpose in this. It'll all work out in the end. I love being around him. It really encourages me. Here's the second thing. Paul says, be patient in affliction. This is known with great conviction that God's in control and the end of a matter is better than the beginning. <laughs> the end is better than the beginning. That's what the scripture says. And when you know that, and when you're in God and know that, then you can kind of maintain that enthusiasm. And the third thing, he says, be faithful in prayer. When we are in God, he is our friend and he wants to speak to us when we are struggling or don't know what to do in our next step of change. All we need to do is speak to our Heavenly Father. So, that's it from me. <laughs> that's the six principles of change that I want to share with you this morning. Dedication. Commit your body to God. Concentrate. Refocus your mind. Evaluation. Humbly assess your current state. Cooperation. Get peer support. Affirmation. I must fill my life with love. Motivation. I must nurture my enthusiasm. You do those things and you can change. You can see the change that God wants to bring about into your life. Get into a connect group, church. Let's do this together. And then, you know, in six months' time, let's look back and celebrate the changes that have taken place in our lives. Father, we don't take this uh, series lightly. We can make light of certain aspects of it, the food thing and the exercise and perhaps bob it off a bit. But at the end of the day, we understand there's a real message here for us and that you're speaking to us. And Lord, I pray that something in our spirit this morning would rise up and push back against the enemy that would tell us you can't change. I pray for every man, woman, young person listening to my voice this morning. And I ask, Lord, that you just breathe on that one thought, that one phrase that may have caught in their spirit so that they can apply it in a way that will help them to make that move towards the place where you want them to be. Father, we pray for ourselves. We say again today, we cannot do it on our own. We need you and we need each other. And we thank you for the help that is available to us through the power of your spirit and through the community of believers that we have around us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. In Jesus.